God of the Holy Spirit that shakes us alive, that shakes us into boldness, that shows us new things and helps us remember the old. Meet us here today in this moment. Help us to see our place in the great and grand story you are telling, to remind us of the stories that have come before, to know you in your fullness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, when I was in seminary, which is basically school to become a pastor, some of you may have experienced it before, gone to it before, uh, some of you may not, about halfway through, um, I did something that it turns out is uh, actually a time-honored seminary tradition, which is I had a nervous breakdown. <laughs> um, I have uh, experienced anxiety and depression on and off for many, many years, since I was about 16 years old. But um, it was then that it really reached its peak, absolutely the worst it has ever been um, before or since. You know, who knows what will come in the next 10 years. But uh, at this time in my life, that is the worst that it has gotten. <clears throat> and I was crying a lot, and I was very sad, but I also would experience these bouts of acute anxiety where I was just um, like ruminating and perseverating all the time. I would think about one thing that had happened or one thing that I was worried was going to happen and, I, and it would um, hurt me and I would just think about it over and over and over and over and over again. And um, there were a lot of things that I was really, really lucky to have in my life at that time. Um, one was healthcare. <laughs> the second was a supportive family, um, uh, a partner and parents and brothers who were really in it with me. Although I'll say both my dad and my brothers, I think, um, like really wished that they could sort of just like punch my depression out, you know? There was a lot of like, what's the one thing we can do to make this go away? And I was like, oh, buddies, <laughs> I love you so much, but that's not how this works, right? You can't just like wish it away. Um, uh, but then the third thing that was really, really helpful to me was that the first person I was referred to, and just in case this ever doesn't happen to you, I always say anytime you're looking for a new therapist, assume you need at least three tries. Otherwise, you'll be so disappointed when the first one doesn't work out, you won't try again. Assume it's gonna take a while to find somebody who matches. The first person I was referred to was exactly who I needed in that moment, which was um, she was a licensed therapist and she was also a spiritual director and an Episcopalian priest. So she could work things through with me, both you know, kind of classic like, what was the deal with your childhood stuff and brain chemistry stuff and God stuff. Um, and so we talked about my anxiety and we talked about what it was doing and how it was feeling. And there were three tools that she offered me that were so helpful and that I still really use today. Um, and the first was prayer and specifically a kind of um, centering prayer, uh, meditation prayer on the Psalms that I found really helpful in that it was just as repetitive as my harmful thoughts while being much more helpful to my relationship with God. So the particular psalm that worked for me, although I think for everyone a different psalm uh, or a different line of, of scripture might, might be better, uh, was peace be still and know that I am God. Peace be still and know that I am God. And the way that she taught me was to work my way up and down that phrase until I had some semblance of peace, no matter how long it took. So I would say, peace, peace be, peace be still, peace be still and, peace be still and know, peace be still and know I, peace be still and know I am, peace be still and know I am God. 
and I would work up to the whole thing, and then I'd move back down to peace, and up and down from peace to God and God to peace <laughs> until a little bit of peace and God entered my heart. And one thing that also helped me in my anxiety, but that also I've heard really helps if you have PTSD, um, which isn't my experience, but as many of ours, is that sometimes as I was doing that, I would tap my leg with every word, and it can help you kind of physically re-enter your body a little bit, right? Like, I'm here. <laughs> I'm not in my worry. I'm in the present. So that was the present practice, the present prayer practice that really helped me. And then another practice she gave me that would help with, was um, thinking about the future. And this does not work for everybody, but it did work for me, which is that I would kind of follow the worst thoughts that I was having, the scariest ones, right, the worst case scenario. If I follow it all the way to the end, what is the biggest disaster that I can anticipate? What's the worst way this could go? And then I would really think, okay, if that happened, what would I do? And usually, there was something, right? Like, um, as scary as it felt, there was something I would do if the worst thing happened. And so that would give me a little bit of a sense of control. Even if the worst thing happens, there's a, there's a second step. There's a thing that comes after. And then there was the third thing that turned out to be, besides prayer, the most helpful for me, and kind of what we're going to talk about today in our prayer lives, which was after I rooted myself in the present, imagined myself into the future, I would remember the past. I would remember the past. Because this wasn't the first time I had ever felt anxious. <laughs> it wasn't the first time I had ever felt scared. And so I would remember the other times that I had felt that way, and what had happened after, right? The last time you felt this worried, did things turn out to be as bad as you thought they were gonna be? In most cases, the answer was no. No, they did not, <laughs> right? Things turned out a lot better. The last time you felt this way, the last time you felt like you shouldn't tell anybody because you would burden them, did it make you feel better to tell someone or did it make you feel worse? Oh, it made you feel better? Maybe try that again, <laughs> right? The last time you felt this way, was praying good for you or bad for you? Oh, it was good for you? Oh, maybe try that again, Hannah. <laughs> um, and so I would remember the past, and I would remember the ways in which when this had happened before, God had met me, my community had met me, things had not been as bad as I thought they were going to be, and I had lived through it before. Right? And, and that would just give me some power and strength and some rooting in reality <laughs> that probably that was how it was going to be this time, too. Probably that was how it's going to be this time, too. We need the past, not only to help us to tell a coherent story of who we are as people and who we are as people of faith, but often we need the past to remind us and to remember us into the kinds of people that we want to be in the present and in the future. It is acknowledgement of the ways in which the past has um, been more enriching and more hopeful than we expected that allows us to draw on those same resources now. And it's an incredibly powerful tool, not just a tool for you in your individual life, but a tool for us in our community and a tool for us particularly in our prayer life to root us in what God has done before as a signal for what God might do for us now and what God might do for us in the future. All Lent, we are talking about prayer. This is our season of talking about prayer. And there's a lot of reasons to talk about prayer. One, we can always be reminded of the importance of prayer in our lives. It's something that is always easy to forget, always easy to lose a hold of. 
But also, um, we are refocusing on prayer because I think many of us feel a little, uh, what we've heard in our discipleship surveys and discipleship conversations is that many folks in this church feel a little distant from prayer at times. It's either hard to pray or you feel like there's a right way to pray that you heard a lot growing up that just doesn't feel quite accessible to you. Um, and I think prayer is actually a lot simpler than we make it out to be. There's a thousand ways to pray. If you're, if you're looking, I would always say the easiest one is just start just start narrating your life to God, if you're ever confused, right? And I will do this. The, in the beginning, I'm a convert, many of you know, and so in the beginning of my prayer life, my prayers were literally, I don't know if I believe anything is happening right now, but if something is God, here's what is on my mind, <laughs> right? I was just like narrating my internal monologue. Here's what's happening. Because any communication builds a relationship. Right? So even if it's, God, I am super pissed at you right now because this awful thing happened. God, I am very sad right now and don't understand where you are because this thing has happened. Any communication builds relationship and builds intimacy. So if you're really confused, that's the place to start, is just to start narrating your internal monologue, just to make the internal external, right? Because God hears it anyway. You might as well get the benefits of acting like God hears it. <laughs> um, but once you kind of get a little more developed, you want to um, kind of deepen or enrich your prayer life, one of the prayers I would offer is the prayer that we're going over this Lent, which is a really classic form of prayer called the gathering prayer or the collect um, that follows a kind of formula each time, which is here's a name of God, here's a thing God did in the past that gives us confidence in God, here's what's on our mind or what we want, Yay, Jesus, amen. It's very simple, right? It's like we can all remember it. And those first two parts are really important. Last week we talked about names of God and how you might find a name of God that um, enriches and expands your understanding of who God is, that changes your prayer life, that changes who you are. The same thing is true of how we root ourselves in the story of God and the story of what God has done. And that's what we really see in this scripture that I'd love to bring back up from Acts. Um, Acts is such a beautiful book. It's filled with so many strange and wondrous stories. It's about the early life of the church, right? So Jesus has lived, has died, has been resurrected, and has ascended into heaven. And that has all happened very recently in the lives of the people that we are following. And they are trying to figure out what to do in the midst of it. They're starting communities. They're living um, in a way where they share with one another. They're living in a way where prayer and the Holy Spirit are just kind of in the air all the time. They're super passionate faithful. And these miracles keep happening to them and through them. And particularly with this scripture, it'll come up in a second, don't worry. Um, John and Peter, so we're in Acts 4. In Acts 2, the Pentecost has happened, right? So the Holy Spirit has come down and done this miracle of people speaking different languages to each other, and the church has started to expand. It started to become bigger and bigger. After that, Peter and John have been preaching and teaching and going out and trying to tell people what's up. And at some point, they see a person going in to worship at a temple um, who is sick, and they heal him publicly in front of everybody. And this public healing, combined with their public teaching, combined with the ways in which their way of life, of kind of sharing and resisting the political order of the day, are very threatening to the religious and the political authorities, and so they get arrested. So they've been arrested, put in jail, and frankly, the authorities would like to keep them away from society for a while, 
right? They would like to either lock them up forever or they would like to kill them or, you know, they're a problem. They keep on tearing people away from the order, which, you know, now as then, the authorities don't like. <laughs> um, but they know that they can't because people just saw this incredible healing and people are going to be really mad at them if Peter and John just disappear. The people have seen that some kind of miracle working force is working through Peter and John, and so they are going to resist and they are going to rise up if those people get arrested, get put away. And so because of that, they get released from jail. And that's what has just happened when this starts, right? After they were released. So they go to their friends, they go to the church, and they say, like, oh my gosh, guys, here's what just happened. And what I find remarkable about this, that actually we might not notice because we're so used to people praying this way, is that in terms of their own spiritual life and the spiritual life of the people around them, they really don't have anything to prove. They've just done a massive and miraculous healing in front of everyone. It is very clear that a very powerful force is with them. There's nothing that they need to, to, to explain or prove further. They have gotten the people so impressed with them, so on board with them, that they couldn't be jailed. Right? All they really need to say is, you saw what we just did? That's us. Follow us. Right? That's us. Be impressed. That's us. That's who God is. What they have just done is enough in the moment to impress people. But they don't stay there. They don't limit it to that. When they open their prayer... Not only do they remember the God of history, not just the God of this miraculous moment, they go all the way back to creation. They remember the God in whom they are rooted, who is much more than the God just of this miraculous moment, even though that moment is joyful and good, right? They say, God of creation, God of David, God of the people who came before, and then they start telling the stories of God that really might help them through their moment of now, which is, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, so at the beginning of Jesus' life and at the end of Jesus' life, the state powers were against us then too, right? The government didn't like us then either and tried really hard to take us out, and it didn't work. They're remembering the parts of the story of God that are like the story they are living through, but with an ending they can look to for comfort and for strength. They look to the past, even though they don't have to to impress anyone, because they recognize that they're a part of this really big story in God, and maybe because it helps them feel less alone, <laughs> right? It helps Peter and John feel like, we are living through this drama that we don't fully understand, but we aren't the first to do that. <laughs> we are living through a hard time and a beautiful time and a joyful time that feels like it's gonna overflow out of our bodies, but we're not the first to do that. We're a part of a big thing that God has been doing for a long time. And remembering the fullness of that story can help us <laughs> to reorient ourselves for joy in the present and to have hope for the future. Their prayer is not just about what the Holy Spirit is doing now. It's about what the Holy Spirit and God have always done. And so we try to do the same thing with our prayers, to invoke that history, that memory. There's a theologian, um, Luke Timothy Johnson, who I think has said some really interesting things about the role of the Bible in our life. And one of the things he talks about is, in many fields of inquiry, particularly physics and math, if any of you are uh, physicists or mathematicians, um, 
the quest, the quest always, is for a more simple, more elegant, more unified theory of everything that has worked, right? Um, a, a more comprehensive and concrete way to describe everything that is happening. They were looking for a way to connect the smallest physical forces and the largest physical forces with one set of formulas, or one set of rules, or one set of ways of understanding. That in most cases, what we are looking for is a rational, comprehensive, describable system. And we're so used to doing that that a lot of Christians start to look for that from the Bible when that is just about the last thing that the Bible is ever going to offer you, <laughs> right? We start looking for Christianity to be a system of ethics, a systematic rule of life, a set of advice or things that can guide us, and it's just not that. You open up two different pages of the Bible, they are very likely to say very different things in very different styles. Because what Luke Timothy Johnson offers us is Christianity is not actually a system of behaviors or a system of rules. It is an identity. It is a conviction about what our identity is, which is beloved children of God, and a conviction about what the identity of God is, the one who is who God is. And in that identity, the scriptures are this extraordinary gift to us of a thousand different stories that can guide us along the way of wherever our identity is being drawn in a present moment. That's part of why they're so diverse. That's part of why they're so different. It's part of why they're so strange, is that they are meant to accompany us along a long and winding road of figuring out more and more of who Jesus is and who Jesus hopes for us to be, not of figuring out the one final set of rules that will help us beat the final boss and win the game, right? This is not how Christianity works. It's not how life works. And so the way for the Bible to enter us, to enter into our spiritual and prayer lives, is really as stories and as a guide about who God has been to tell us who God might be to us now. So we're gonna practice that a little bit right now. Um, and if you don't feel like saying anything, you don't have to, but um, I would wonder if there's anyone who would feel comfortable sharing with the group gathered here a prayer request that you have. Anything you'd like or need prayer for in this moment in time. Persistence in your work. Okay. So is the, does the barrier feel like it's exhaustion, boredom? Hmm. Yeah. Persistence in work. Can anyone think of a story from your own life from something that God has done in history or from the scriptures about persistence, about a time when people kept going or a person kept going or God told us that we could keep going. Anybody have an example? Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, right, that Job stays in it. Um, Job is a great example of 
two things. One is uh, the anti-example of how to be a friend to someone who's suffering, <laughs> right? Don't be like Job's friends, guys. Don't be like Job's friends. But the other is, right, that Job persists not because he understands what's going on, not because he thinks it's okay, but just because he does. Continues to live, continues to persist, continues to ask, continues to be in relationship. So let's pray. Let's pray for Phil. Um, God of persistence, God of strength, God who has told us that the race will be long, you who brought Job through many trials that he did not know if they would ever end, God who saw Job be persistent, we ask that you would offer that same persistence to Phil, that he would know where God is in his life, where you are in his life, that he would see a way forward and be able to stay in it until the hope that we know comes one day at the end, even if it doesn't erase what came before it. Amen. Amen. Is there anyone else who has something that's kind of on your mind, on your heart, a prayer request that you've been thinking over, thinking of? Can anyone think of a time of God moving in history, in your life, or of God in the Bible um, when God was really present for people who were mourning loss? Complicated loss, a long loss, a short loss. Um, a time when God was really with people who were mourning. Absolutely. Yeah. Even before the raising of Lazarus, right? Actually, the most moving part of that story to me um, is Jesus wept, right? This is one of the most famous sentences in the Bible, but most of us forget where it comes from. Um, Mary and Martha are the sisters of Lazarus, and they are, I mean, actually, if you ever feel the need to be mad at God and know that it's okay, Mary and Martha are very mad at Jesus in this story. Why didn't you get here three days ago? Right? Why didn't you get here three days ago, Jesus? Jesus hears that his friend Lazarus is sick. There's a couple days he goes there, and, when, and Lazarus has died by the time he gets there, and he meets Mary and Martha, who are disciples, I would say, and they are weeping, and they are destroyed by their mourning. And he sees them, and he weeps with them. Right? He weeps with them, which is most often how I experience Jesus in real, like, suffering and mourning. Um, so if we could pray for you, Emily, if that would be okay. Jesus, who knows what it is to die, who knows what it is to have friends and family die, who knows what it is to somehow live through it, you who were there when Mary and Martha were in mourning and met them with your tears and with your care and with your holy miracles, we ask that you would be in the lives of Emily's friends this day, this week, this month, for as long as they need. 
helping them to find peace in whatever places it can be found, to find comfort in whatever places they need. And we ask that you would be with their community, helping them to figure out how to support them in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Do we have one more, one more prayer request out there? Something that's on your mind, on your heart? Yeah. I didn't hear the end, I'm sorry. Yeah. Strength for your little one? Yeah. So strength for Carrie's little one. Can anyone think of um, a story of a miraculous pregnancy or child in the Bible? <laughs> this one, there's a lot, right? But it starts in chapter 1, doesn't stop till chapter 80, 105. We got Sarah, we got Hannah, we got um, all kinds of, yeah, Moses, yeah, all kinds of folks. So um, we'll just name all of them because the history is long, right? The history is long and extraordinary. Okay, so if we can pray for Carrie. Um, God, who has seen many parents through many trials, God, who is a God of miraculous new life popping up all over the place in ways that we didn't expect and didn't think was possible, you who saw through the miraculous child's children of Sarah, of Hagar, of Hannah, of Elizabeth, we ask that you would be with this new life, with this new child, offering it strength, making that child all that you hope it would be, carrying us through the, this time and offering comfort to all who would love and care for this child. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, it's not easy to pray because I think real prayer, not thoughts and prayers prayer, right? But like prayer, prayer demands authenticity of us that is hard to provide, right? And truth and love from us that is hard to provide. But it is actually pretty simple. It's not something that you have to feel scared of doing or feel like is too complicated. Even if you want to leave out the history part, leave it out. <laughs> All prayer takes is a trust that God is who God says God is and that we can say anything to God about our life and the lives that are going on around us. I'll share one last prayer, which is the prayer that's been on my heart this week, which is um, since the, the massacre at Parkland High School um, and watching some of those teenage activists uh, do their work, these last couple of weeks, do their work of asking questions and do their work of holding people accountable. Um, I have realized that I had um, really given up hope in the area of gun violence in a fundamental way. I had like given up that we were going to stop that death dealing force in our country, which is not just about mass shootings, but about the everyday shootings that happen in our city down the street that is about the suicides that happen too easily because it's too easy. Um, and. And watching them, I have been reminded of all that God has done in the world that means that I don't have to give up hope. So I've been remembering, right, that um, 
There were a lot of people who called the Little Rock Nine and every teenager who integrated a high school an outside agitator and a crisis actor, too. <laughs> and it did not stop them. That there was a time when we thought that the AIDS crisis would never end and that it would steal all of our lives. But it didn't. <laughs> that there was a time when here in Chicago, most of the Black Lives Matter protests were organized by teenagers in the high schools and they didn't receive half the resources these teenagers are receiving, half the credit, more obstacles were put in front of them, and those protests persevered and continued, and this spring it looks like, if we continue to call our aldermen, so don't like take it for granted, we're gonna pass the first grassroots police reform accountability bill that Chicago has ever seen. <laughs> God is a God who in Jesus told Peter to put the sword down because we don't need violence to make it all work, and then that turned out to be true, <laughs> miraculously. And Jesus is a Jesus who told us to follow the little children, and that turned out to be true too. There is no reason for me to give up hope, and there is no reason for you to give up hope. God is the God who God has always been. And when we remember the history of God, it equips us for the God of the present and the God of the future who we invite into our lives and into our prayer life. Amen? Amen.